0: I enjoy worshiping you so much, sometimes I forget it's time to preach. We are in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34, and we're going to go up through uh, just Sunday as we get to that last week of ministry as the Lord comes to offer himself on the cross. The message is entitled, The King's Offer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life that you lived. The perfect life that was then given as a ransom for us in our lives. We're amazed at the offer that the creator of the universe would die for sinful men. Lord, I pray for any here today that have not taken that offer, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for myself that I might be spirit-filled as I teach That each one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners. That, Lord, the word might be applied in our life. That we might be more like you for being here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus has gone from Jerusalem and from Bethany. He healed Lazarus. He raised him from the dead, called him out of the grave. And then he went back north to join the great procession of people that are coming down from the north and from all over Israel for the Passover. This Passover, will he will be offered as the Lamb of God on the cross. And as he does that, the beginning of the journey, there are ten lepers, and he heals all ten of them. But only one comes back to worship. There are many people that Jesus healed that never received him as Savior. He's so gracious in his offer. And Jesus was even surprised by that. I think he's often surprised by the hardness of the human heart. And he said, weren't there 10 that were healed? And this foreigner, this Samaritan, is the only one that comes back to worship? He runs into the rich young ruler who he has that conversation with. This one who said that he's kept the whole law. Jesus asked him, because he asked, which which laws? Well, he named off, don't don't murder, don't commit adultery, some of the big ones, you know. Oh, I've kept all those from my youth up. Jesus knows what his heart is. There's one thing you lack, because God knew what his God was, and it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't the God of Israel. It was his money. It was himself. He said, well, what you need to do is just sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Because he knew that was keeping him from following him. And he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. And At at that point in his life, Jesus was not worthy to follow and leave everything. And so they come to Jericho, and Jericho is kind of the bottom of the hill, literally. It's getting down there the Dead Sea where it's below sea level, and they're going to climb up 3,500 feet from Jericho, 3,400 feet from Jericho all the way up to Jerusalem. It's 15 miles. So he goes to Jericho, and he stops there. And in verse 29, it says, As they're leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Now, if you read the different Gospels, as he enters Jericho, one, there's one uh, blind man, and some, there's two, like here. Well, I think the reason that Matthew mentions two, he's not delineating Bartimaeus, but Mark is probably pointing out a brother in the church. That's where Bartimaeus got saved. You love to share testimony? I love to share testimonies. I love to hear testimonies. I love sharing testimonies of those that maybe they're not here, but There might be somebody here, and I, the Lord lays in my heart to share a testimony about so-and-so. There's a book that was written by Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapels, and it's a whole book of testimonies of people that have come to Christ and how God began that great movement of church planting out of that one little Calvary Chapel church in California. Love testimonies. And so here's a testimony of these two blind men sitting by the road the crowd has gotten larger and larger as they pick up people from other cities and they're coming down this highway and then they're going to take a right and go up to jerusalem but they stop in jericho now it may be the confusion is just the different points of view of the different uh writers that wrote the gospels there's the old ruins that you can go see today where the jericho the, the hill the the walls all fell in when when uh The the children of Israel first crossed the river and came into the promised land. And the ruins were there at that time. Maybe the blind men were there. So he's leaving that part and going into the contemporary Jericho. Just know this. He went there. And he healed some blind men. And here's that story. Two blind men, verse 30, sitting by the road, begging. They heard that Jesus was passing by. And I'm sure the crowd is gathering, and probably it's a stop-off point for one day's journey. It's probably, if you're really, if you don't have children with you, it's probably an eight-day, an eight-hour walk from the bottom of the hill in Jericho all the way up to Jerusalem, and that's where they're heading. So maybe it'd be a good stopping place, and they'll be stopping there all week long. So the crowds are gathering, and so the, the blind men have positioned themselves to beg. Now, if you've ever been in a place, in a country where there are beggars, professional beggars, I don't know if you noticed, but I've noticed, they don't look at you. And even Peter, when he healed the man at the temple after Jesus has gone uh, back to heaven, he said, look at us. But these men have heard and they believe that Jesus is able to heal them. And they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. And the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. Don't bother the Lord. You're not important. That's the way the 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 crowd looks at a lot of people. Not important. We as believers ought not to see people that way. But instead of listening to the crowd and becoming quiet and minding their own business, it says, They cried out all the more. And the original language seemed to indicate that they cried like crazy people. They were not going to be denied. They cried out because Jesus was their only hope. Their only hope. And they were convinced this was their opportunity. Jesus was passing by. There does come appointment in a person's life, and we don't know... When that is, when they just say no enough that the Lord doesn't bother them anymore. But these would not be denied. And Jesus stopped. Now, Jesus, I believe, if you look at Luke 19, he was heading to Zacchaeus' house. I don't know if Matthew had told him about him or maybe passing through Jericho before he'd seen him and he was on his heart. But I think he was kind of on a mission to go find Zacchaeus. But are you available for ministry when it shows up? Jesus was. You ever been to Walmart? You see some children or some people and your heart just goes out to them? What do you do? Well, first you need to pray. And listen to the Spirit. What does the Lord want you to do? God often puts people on our heart. You wonder why he's put that friend especially on your heart? He wants you to pray. And then be open to the Spirit for what he wants you to do. Jesus was available for ministry all the time. We get so full of ourselves that we are often just kind of in a cattle chute, just going down the road, just got to get there and get home and not worry about anything else, not be distracted. But Jesus was available for ministry. And so he stops and he calls them. And then he asks them, What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that something? so simple. You see, confession is agreeing with God about your condition. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if we confess, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that's salvation. For with the heart, man believes. With the mouth, man confesses. There's a point in everyone's life where you have to have that conversation with God. You may not remember the date or the time. But even the Old Testament saint, God called them and he said, come now, let us reason together. And I think that's what the same parallel passage is in Romans 10, 9, and 10. In verse 8, Paul's writing to these Romans. He's giving them the great doctrine of salvation. He says, now, the word is nigh you in your heart, even in your mouth, the word of faith that we speak. If you will confess through the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You'll be saved. For the heart man believes, and with the mouth man confesses a conversation. It may be in silent prayer, but have you been to that place in your life? Not have you been to church, have you done religious things? Have you been to Jesus? And he asked them a simple question, what do you want? They said, Lord, that our eyes be opened. And it says he was moved with compassion. That is a precious statement. So often we think about God being the creator, speaking the worlds into existence, and then saving people like there was no feeling. It was just kind of that's what happens. Believe the record, that's what happens. And it's hard to think that Jesus actually cares about your burdens. But that's the amazing thing about our creator. He spoke the world into existence with all of its intricacies and beauty and balances. He holds all those things together even today by the power of his will, the Bible says. And he cares to hear from you. He was moved with compassion. Jesus cares about every soul that comes to him, and he reaches out by the Holy Spirit individually to each and every one and pursues them until they turn to him for salvation. I've quoted it often, but Revelation one five, I think one of the most precious pictures in the Bible. In the New, in the King James version, it says, "The King of Kings, the King of the princes of the earth, washes us from our sin in His own blood." That's personal salvation. It's not generic. It's not just something that you kind of give mental assent to, but. Jesus is moved with compassion. And he touches their eyes. And immediately they regain their sight. And here's how we know we're they're believers. They followed him. Now where was Jesus going? Jesus was going to the cross. That's the call of salvation. It's not ask Jesus in your heart and then live your life how you want. You'll have the best life ever. Jesus said if any man would come after me let him Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These were believers already, I think. That's why they cried out for him to heal him. They recognized not just that he was a preacher, but they said, Son of David, Messiah, we want to see. And they followed him. Now, Matthew doesn't include it, but what else happens in Jericho And Luke 19, as he continues on, and he comes to a place, and there was a rich man that lived there. He was a tax collector, an outcast of Jewish culture, but rich, it says, and he was a short man. You sang it in Sunday school? You know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree... He said, "Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to your house to stay." Now I believe these things happen on Thursday. Say, what? How do you come to that conclusion? Well, because he had to travel up to Jerusalem, and he wouldn't be traveling on Saturday because that's the Sabbath. You can only go a certain amount of distance on the Sabbath day. And Jesus was fulfilling the law; he fulfilled the law for us, so he would keep the law in that respect. And so this had to be Thursday because he's going to stay at Zacchaeus' house. Now here's this outcast of culture, a sinner, a traitor to the Jews. And he is overjoyed that Jesus would come to his house. And people begin to murmur around and Zacchaeus hears and the Lord hears, I can't believe he's going to a sinner's house. Aren't you glad Jesus comes to sinners' houses? He'd never come to mine. He would never come to yours. We heard a testimony this morning. Often we hear testimonies like that. I'm not perfect yet. Well, you're in good company. You're in good company here, because there's only two kind of sinners: sinners that are saved and sinners that have not admitted their lost condition yet. Redeemed sinners and lost sinners, but still sinners. And Jesus went to his house. But as Zacchaeus hears the murmurs of the crowd about Jesus identifying with a sinner and going to his house, how could he, this, this wonderful man who just healed the blind people, sully himself by going to a tax collector's house, a sinner's house? These tax collectors were probably known for their parties because they had money. And Zacchaeus reacts and gives a testimony. Now, our church has a culture of testimonies you're just coming in you don't know that don't feel bad sometimes you ask a believer well share me your testimonies what do you think I'm not saved no 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 we just want to hear the story but you may have grown up in a church it just doesn't share those things I don't know why you wouldn't Doug Wookie and I were at a wedding some time ago years ago one of our couples from here went down to their home and they got married and Doug and I went down with several of you and And at the breakfast the next morning, the bride and groom come back and they open presents. You know, we had this breakfast together. And we asked the father of the bride, well, tell us your testimony because we heard he's a believer and he grew up in a Baptist church. And he looked at us kind of confused and said, well, what do you mean? You know, how you came to Christ. Well, my parents grew up in this church. And I guess, you know, this Baptist church, I just grew up in this church. And Doug and I looked at us. Each one another went, what? And that's all we got. I don't know if he's a believer or not, but obviously not used to sharing that testimony. I remember the blessing of visiting Grace Community Church for the first time. We went out for a shepherd's conference. Very large church, and just like you, they had their special places that was kind of theirs. Their name wasn't on the pew, just like your name's on the chair, but you kind of like to sit in the same spot if you don't get there early enough, you feel a little, just a little bit like, hey, this is my spot, right? And so just like that, it's a very large church. I think they have three services. And, and so we sat in an area, and there's some people that probably sat there. Every year. They're fellowshipping together, and they turn around and introduce themselves to us. And they say, hey, tell us your testimonies. They could tell we were probably pastors from out of town. We didn't look too Californian, I guess. And I thought that was so precious to me that they would say that. I said, you know, we need more of that in our church. That was years ago. Because when you know somebody by their testimony, you just know them differently and you know them better. You don't forget them because you remember that story. Every story is unique in how God reached someone, but it's always the same when somebody came to the realization that they were a sinner and they needed a Savior. And we rejoice together. And so Zacchaeus, when he hears the people murmuring about him being a sinner, he identifies with it. And just out loud as they're walking to his house, Oh, Lord, you know I am a sinner. And, Lord, I, I, my, my life's changed today. I'm going to give half of everything to the poor. You say, well, doesn't the Lord require give everything? He say, well, I think what he was doing, he was saving some of the money in case somebody took him up on the other claim. And that was, and, Lord... If I've wronged anybody, I'll restore four times. And he probably knew he had. That's a different heart. That's a changed heart that says, Lord, everything I have is yours. You know, brothers, that's what we do when we tithe. In the Old Testament, before the law, there was the tithe. And the tithe is just a recognition that God owns everything. It's just a starting place for grace giving. It's not the end of it. But it's a place where we learn to be joyful about the fact that lord you gave me this much it's all yours but just to recognize that here's the first tenth now the old testament jew he he hadn't figured that out by the time they get to malachi they had all those years to get it right and yet they had not they had stolen from the lord And it's a part of what's going to happen as Jesus goes into the temple. God had given this wonderful system where he would bless them for six years. And then not just the professors at Israel University, but everybody in the whole country got a sabbatical. Wouldn't that be awesome? Every seven years, all you do is worship the Lord. God would bless them personally and nationally enough. There'll be enough that they could live that that, that seventh year and just worship the Lord Then the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, all of the land would go back to the original families as he laid it out when Joshua divided the land up. And that was to recognize that the land did not belong to them, but belongs to God. But they just thought, you know, 10 is better than 9. We can do or be better to ourselves than God can, and so they kept back the 10th, and they figured out a way to do that. And they said 7 is better than 6, and so they just didn't Give their land rest. And God told Daniel, 483 years before this, I'm taking all those back. And so you have the 70 years of Daniel. Well, there's going to be 483 years from the time a decree goes forth to go back to to Israel and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem until Messiah comes. And this is that time. But Zacchaeus recognized the ownership of Jesus' life. His life changed. I think he probably joined the entourage and went up, maybe not that day, but soon to be part of Passover. Well, it says, when they approached Jerusalem. Now, we can look at the days, because if you look at John chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus was in Jerusalem, or excuse me, was in Bethany on Saturday. Because in that verse it says six days before Passover, that's Saturday, he's crucified on Friday. So Saturday before Passover, he's in Simon the leper's house and they're having a feast. And they're celebrating once again, Lazarus coming back from the dead. Lazarus was there. And that's when also Mary, Lazarus' sister, takes that very, very expensive perfume and anoints the Lord's head and his feet and then wipes his feet with her hair. And Judas is kind of confused about that and he's angry and jealous that he didn't have control of that money too. And I think this is what moves Judas to finally betray Jesus because at that time, Jesus, they're saying, why was this money given to the poor? And Jesus rebukes Judas and says, hey, what she's done, she's done to honor me for my burial. The poor you're all going to have with me. Don't discourage her from what she's done. This is, this is a God thing that she's done. And soon after that, he begins to make the plan to go betray the Savior. So we know by Saturday they're already there. So on Sunday, that's when we start chapter 21. They get up in the morning, and they approach Jerusalem from Bethany. And so they're just coming to the top, and there's Bethphage over to the side. And so Jesus says to two of his disciples, go over there. To that town and there's a donkey and a foal I want you to untie the foal and bring him to me and if anybody asks why you're taking the little one you just say the Lord has need of him now I think Jesus has arranged this maybe even at this, the banquet the day before because many people came to the banquet to see Lazarus and to see Jesus and so he's arranged it. Just like Jesus was arranging so many things. But this special day, this day, this day that the Lord has made for the king's offer. And so they free the colt and they bring him to Jesus. And the disciples put their coats on the, this colt, unbroken colt. And then they place Jesus on the colt. This was prophesied clear back in Zechariah and Isaiah. They would come lowly sitting on a beast of burden to be offered as king to the nation. Now we see that when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted and tested of the devil that was all over the angels came and ministered to him and it says he was with the beasts. The wild animals understand who he is. You just don't sit on an unbroken colt but Jesus can sit on this one. Because he's the Lord of creation. And they come down the hill. And the other account is in Luke chapter 19 verses 39 through 44. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Jesus rebuke your disciples because people are crying out, Hosanna. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Because God had prophesied this day would come when he would be offered. As king and offer the kingdom. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over. So he's coming down the hill. And as they crest over the Mount of Olives, they come down the hill. Everyone's rejoicing. Jesus is weeping. Because he knows the sorrow and the devastation that will come to the land of Israel and to Jerusalem in particular because of the rejection of him as king. And he says this. If you had known in this your day. It was the very day prophesied 483 years later. The very day. He comes to offer them the kingdom. Now what would have happened if they would have received Jesus as king? And the Pharisees and the the Sadducees would have bowed. He still would have died on the cross. Because we needed a Savior for our sin. Israel needed a Savior. The problem is they just didn't recognize it. But Jesus prophesies there in Luke chapter 19, verse 43, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will love you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. The King is there. It's a legitimate offer of the kingdom, and they reject him, and the king knows they will do that. Well, back in chapter 21, verse 5, he's fulfilling this, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming gentle and mounted on a donkey, even the colt, the foal of a beast of burden." The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. That is a precious verse. How often the disciples try to straighten Jesus out or just not quite do it. And yet it says they simply did what Jesus told them to do. The Christian life is that simple, really. We don't have to worry about tomorrow or the deep things of God. What does God want you to do today? The amazing thing is that Jesus used all of his time He knew that the cross was coming on Friday. That would paralyze us. We probably wouldn't do anything, but Jesus used every single moment to be obedient, to show us in his grace that he was the king. He was in command of himself at every moment. So they come down the hill. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their coats on him. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. Others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him. And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? You see, he had gone up and joined the crowd coming down. He'd been teaching them, doing miracles. So all those got ahead of him to Jerusalem. And probably when they got there, they said, well, is he coming? Is he coming? Well, I know he was on the road with us because Jesus came on Friday. He stops off in Bethany. He spends the Sabbath there, has Shabbat there with Simon the leper. And then on Sunday morning, this takes place. After all that, after fulfilling the prophecy, they say, who is this? Oh, this is the preacher from Galilee. They miss him. There are so many people that will miss Jesus in their life. And we're going to look and see as the week goes on. All the arguments of those that believe in the supernatural. But they don't believe in Jesus the Pharisees. The religious liberals the Sadducees. And their reasons for not believing him. And how they just argue. And try to find fault with him. They see the miracles. And they try to kill him. They miss Jesus. The blind men saw him, and those that say they had spiritual insight missed him. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, that we'd not miss Jesus in our own lives, even as believers, Lord. You've given us the precious time. You know the days of our life. Lord, that we would, find, that we would be found occupied until you come or until you call us home not missing opportunities of ministry available for you to use and Lord for those that are here Lord help them not to miss Jesus Lord cut through their prejudice their sin show them their need Lord and then draw them to yourself and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus name Amen let's stand and sing together